Hello and welcome to Talking to Lead Hers, the podcast where we extend the conversation around female entrepreneurship beyond the challenges and instead focus on positivity and the actions we can each take to drive change. I'm Katie Nagy Danagi Baxson, M&A partner at CMS. In today's episode, I'm talking to Dr. Hannah Burrow, the co-founder and CEO of Kiroku, about digital health technology, how Kiroku has pivoted since its inception, and accelerator programs. Thank you for joining us today, Hannah. Oh, thank you for having me. So why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about Kiroko and how you founded the company, having kind of started your career on a, on a slightly different path. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we founded Kiroko about three and a half years ago, and I'm one of the co-founders alongside Jay. Um, and as you mentioned, my background was in dentistry. So I had qualified as a dentist several years ago. I'd worked in a variety of different jobs within dentistry. So hospitals. I worked in practice, both NHS and private. Um, and I also worked at Public Health England, which is more sort of how dentistry is provided on a national level. And within each of those jobs, really, really did enjoy clinical dentistry, but just found so much of my time as a clinician was spent not providing clinical dentistry. And it was, you know, it was spent on the work around the work. Um, and that frustration was what led me to think, surely there's a more efficient way of doing this. And so that led me to uh, going through an accelerator program called EF, Entrepreneur First. And luckily, that's when I met my co-founder, Jay. His background was very, very different from mine. So computer science, machine learning, AI. Um, and at that point, we started working on Kuroku together. Um, and in terms of what Kuroku is, a uh, very important thing to discuss uh, Kuroku, our mission at Kuroku is to create technology which automates the least rewarding parts of work. And our first application is um, clinical admin within dentistry. So can we uh, streamline the process of creating clinical admin so the clinician can spend more time with their patient, more focus on the conversation they're having? Yeah, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, it does. And I think the phrase the work around the work is is a great phrase and i think in every job there is work around the work and you know if you ask people what you know what would you change about your job what would you take away from your role to make it enjoyable lots of people would say the work around the work the admin side of things um so i can definitely see how um you know that's a an interesting avenue to pursue um for for your your business totally and and i'm sure as a lawyer you can relate more than anyone i'm sure there's so much ad work around the work but but what you say perfectly highlights kind of the why why we're doing what we're doing and it's it's everything we do at Kroku is to be able to free up time so people can spend time on the thing they love doing the thing they trained to do which quite often isn't the admin around the work yeah, brilliant. And so um, I'm all about positivity, and um, particularly at the moment, um, I think it's really important to focus on the positives that we we do have. What are you feeling positive about at the moment? Where is your positivity? Um, I'll answer this in two ways. I'll kind of answer what I'm really positive about at Kuroko at the moment, and then what I'm positive about more generally in light of everything that is going on. Um, what I'm excited about at Kroku is we're at a point with the product 
where we know that we are genuinely solving a problem for people, that we are making people's life a little bit easier. And it's been it's been a real kind of uh, long process to get the product to a point where we where we're really, really happy with with what we're uh, sending out to people. Um, And so now we're at a point where where we are accelerating growth. So hiring sort of marketers and salespeople to get this into more people's hands. So that feels like a really exciting phase of the company, um, which hopefully aligns with my greater thing that I'm positive about, which of course, you know, there's so much bad that's happened in the last year, but to, to find the positive, the silver lining, I think within healthcare, it's, it's not an original thought for me to say that the you know the way in which um, healthcare has accelerated the uptake of certain technologies, whether that is virtual consultations, whether that is kind of providing care in a slightly different way to before, um, I think has been forced in a way that wouldn't have occurred if the pandemic hadn't happened. Um, and as such, I think that will have, I hope. Um, really pushed forward healthcare in a way that, yeah, as I said, I don't think would have happened without the pandemic. And then I say, hopefully the alignment between those two is those things can, uh, you know, accelerate one another. And do you think that reticence of kind of healthcare to take up technology, um, do you think, Hannah, that has been driven by clinicians and the NHS? Or do you think that's been patients not wanting to embrace the way that, um, you know, medicine and, and healthcare is delivered to them? I think to an extent, it's probably a combination of all three. Um, I think I think that people who work within healthcare are trained to be very sceptical, as you would want them to be. You don't want your doctor to believe anything that is put in front of them. But I think that the negative side of that, you know, they're really sort of discerning in in terms of what's put in front of them. I think the negative of that is therefore the the lag in taking up technology, as you described it. There is also sort of a traditional mentality in healthcare in that things are done in a certain way, and there's less of a drive as there is in perhaps other industries to change certain processes because they've been done in a certain way for a long time and because the bureaucracy of changing things is so large. I suppose that then takes me on to the NHS, which is a wonderful thing. And just to clarify, I couldn't have more positive things to say about the NHS, but I do think, you know, it is a beast. It's such a large organisation and as such, um, uptake of new technologies can be incredibly slow, but I obviously things have been forced through in a way that they that they wouldn't have been without such a sort of crisis. Um, and then finally, with the patients, I can I can only actually tell you my perception of this within dentistry and within introducing a technology like Roku, which is actually patients are incredibly open and very um trusting of their healthcare provider um so i'd say probably patients are the least to blame i think it's probably more just the the nature of healthcare the traditional um viewpoint of the people within healthcare and then and then the nature of, of an organization as large as the nhs and i suppose the emphasis on innovation in healthcare has been innovation in terms of you know, actually the the medicine and the healthcare that's provided rather than innovation in processes. 
Um, oh. So in that, in that respect, the industry is kind of slightly different to other industries, isn't it? I couldn't agree with that statement more. And to, to take it back to dentistry, obviously, it's what I know. Um, when I was first sort of exploring, you know, whether there was a way of making things more efficient within dentistry, the thing that I just found repeatedly was when it came to hardware, when it came to um, scanners for creating uh like new dental crowns so when it came to sort of 3d digital imaging of teeth things like that it was in, you know really this really exciting technology in in dentistry and I, I assume this is very much the same within within medicine as well but when it came to actually assessing the processes how people are spending their time are they better ways of doing what we're doing that felt really archaic um when I looked at the software that was you know the, the market leaders within dentistry you know I I don't want to uh badmouth any but really sort of archaic technology that when you consider that there is a generation of of dentist doctors who have probably been raised on on using iPhones and uh, technology like that I think soon it's not going to be um I think we're getting to a point where things do have to change. But up until as 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 recently as five years ago, I remember just being baffled by how archaic certain processes were. So how has Kiroku evolved since you started the business, Hannah? Is the product the same now as it was when you first started or has there been a bit of a, an evolution? So there's definitely been an evolution, but I would start off by saying the mission of what we want to build has always, uh, you know, remained the same. Our mission, as I said, is to kind of find those parts of the, the process which are really inefficient and streamline uh, that to an extent. And our first way of approaching this problem was, OK, this conversation is occurring anyway between the clinician and the patient. Can we have some sort of audio technology, something like an Alexa that could sit on the side of the surgery and capture what's being said, extract the relevant clinical information from that and generate the clinical notes from in that way. And we did, so for the first year of Kuroki, that's exactly what we were building. And it was both very positive things and very negative things about it. So there was the positive was if we had really good quality audio coming through, the quality of what Jay had built in terms of extracting relevant information and understanding the context of that conversation was just so, even now I'm so impressed by it. But what we could never get consistently right was the quality of the audio coming through. And that's obviously, I mean, for, for a variety of reasons, obviously we're not google who's spending billions on 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 uh the set like building the same technology but equally we just found within our environment within a clinical situation a loud surgery that had loads of other noises going on we couldn't get consistent audio coming through and so anything that we were doing past that point was was inconsistent um and so we had to make the, the actually quite difficult decision towards the start of last year which was um, to, to take a step back from voice. And, and the reason we did that was because over the course of trying to build out this voice technology, we realized that in addition to the, the complexity we were having with the audio coming through, we also realized that even if clinicians do follow a kind of very similar structure, they do want to 
uh, customize things. They might want things worded in a certain way. So we built this product that just essentially um, really good UI to begin with. It was just allowed them to click through their notes um, in a really easy way. Um, but what we found from that product, that's how it started. Then what we were able to do with that product as time went on was to incorporate later the technology we built for the voice. So to um, to be able to figure out the context of what they were including in their intelligent suggestions based on that. So, you know, you've recorded this clinical finding in the patient. You know, every time you've done that historically, you've provided this diagnosis so to make that suggestion for the, for the user and so um, with that version of the product which I just as I said was almost a, a stopgap for a while um, we soon realized that 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 product having the exact same problem we'd initially set out to do and the response from our users was just so profoundly positive we were saving them 60% of the time they were spending on record keeping with just that product alone and when we even sort of tied in really good quality audio on top of that the the the, in, the amount of time we saved on top of that was really quite in, incremental and then the final point was just our users were no longer requesting voice they were requesting features on top of what we had already built um, and so you know at the start of last year as I said we made the decision to step away from voice and and that was difficult at the time because I suppose you me and Jade had an idea in terms of how we were going to solve this problem. And, and this felt like a, I suppose, a, I suppose failure is the wrong word, but it felt like you were moving away from trying to accomplish that. But since having made that decision, it's been very, very clear that it was the right one. And it's allowed us to refocus our energies on on building our core product um, out further. Um, so a hard decision, but a good decision. So. Um, we've very much changed our offering, but 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 the outcome of the product is the same as the original one that we set out to build. I think it's really interesting that you went back to something really simple um, and, you know, use that as your sort of stopgap um, to enable you to then, I suppose, reset and work out how you were going to to take things forwards. And it's really interesting how you hesitated in terms of using the word failure. Because it's very hard, isn't it, to, um, to to change the way that you look at something. And, you know, if you've got a particular solution that you have envisaged will be your solution to then be able to say, well, actually, that doesn't work. And I'm going to try something different. Um, it, you know, it's hard to, to step away from that and hard to, um, you know, do you look at it as a failure or do you look at it as, you know, just another challenge to overcome in terms of getting to the, the, the right place? No, no, that makes complete sense. And, and your comment about the, simpl the simplicity of the product was one that I remember around that time when we were really having so many problems with the product as it was then. Um, one of the things that we did was we we went and spoke to loads of other healthcare founders. And one of the things that just it was just repeatedly seemed to come up was that founders would say, you might have these big visions of the technology that you want to build. But actually, the thing that you need to introduce first within a clinician's workflow has to be so um, predictable it's going to work. And therefore, it should actually be almost embarrassingly simple. But once you've got it into their workflow, you can start drip feeding that technology in, in a way that they are not relying on the outcome of it, 
but rather it is a an additional feature. And so that with with Kuroka as it is now, the product is still providing its value, but the AI, whatever it is, I mean the AI, whatever the our, our um models are suggesting in terms of um improvements to their workflow, that's an addition rather than the main thing they have to rely on, which obviously then differentiates from from our previous approach, which the voice they had to rely on it entirely to do their notes, but that was difficult when it wasn't 100 percent certain. So I, I think simple is very much a good thing in healthcare. And it's quite a big leap as well for someone who, you know, perhaps, as you say, has quite, um, you know, old fashioned or non-technical processes to go from that to, you know, uh, using audio recognition. That's a really big leap for someone, whereas what you have introduced is it's a small leap, but it then opens the door to more, you know, technological advances as time goes on. Yeah, totally. Um, I think it's incrementally introducing the changes. It's interesting that you went and spoke to other healthcare founders. Um, was that something that you, um, you've you done all the way through the sort of journey of Kuroku or was it because you were sort of sat, sat scratching your heads going, what are we going to do? We've got a problem, we don't know how to solve it. What drove you to, to sort of seek out um, other people's views? I'm in a very lucky position in that um, having been through Entrepreneur First got a great network to loads of other founders so you have you know a global slack that you can just ask any question um of of that group of alumni and you can get an answer in addition to that I'm also part of a group um of founders um of varying stages in London and so to answer your question specific to that problem obviously I was going out and speaking to people then because because we we were obviously in a very challenging time but my question wasn't clearly articulated at that point because I was just speaking to people and trying to figure out their experience of introducing the product to market but that's that's easy to do when I'm in constant contact with lots of different founders and constantly hearing their stories um so it's something that I aim to 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 always do but inevitably when things are more challenging you're going to be seeking support and reassurance and advice more more than ever and I'd also say in addition to that as well, um, I, th- I think probably at that uh, around that time, we were going out to start raising a round of investment. And um, there's, that's a real opportunity to get really, really good feedback because so many of these investors are exited founders themselves or they've just had so many companies that go in front of us. So they've got really, really great insight into introducing products to the market, what will work, what what are perhaps red flags that we need to put more effort into. Um, and so I can definitely think of a few investors who whose advice, you know, did have an impact around that time, even if they didn't even want to, you know, proceed with investing in the company. That's, I think if you are able to see it as an opportunity for feedback rather than just the outcome of you want investment, it can be a really, really good learning experience. So we, we've mentioned entrepreneur first a couple of times. 
Um, obviously, you went through that that program, and we're often asked um, by um, founders that we talk to, by you know people in the startup ecosystem about accelerators and you know how they work, whether they're worth doing. Um, Entrepreneur First is obviously slightly different to um, some of the other accelerators in that you know you come into Entrepreneur First without your business, whereas some accelerators you know you need to have your business idea first. But what was your experience of EF? How did you find it? So um, I personally found um, EF very positive in the fact that I came out with a co-founder who I work fantastically well alongside. Um, but equally, I don't have any experience of any of the other accelerators and I don't have experience of not going through them. So it's obviously very biased. Having come from an industry like dentistry, where I didn't have any um, background knowledge of startups or or have any network within that area it felt very necessary for me because I really didn't know how to approach building a business Um, and what EF was able to do was provide certain amounts of sort of information and and guidance in terms of you know they would provide lectures on certain very basic things about how to you know incorporate a company but I'd say more importantly how to communicate with a a co-founder how to give um constructive feedback things like that which at the time didn't feel as impactful as they have felt since with EF it's it's a really tricky one obviously in in addition to those sort of uh that, that sort of lecturing they also provide really regular mentorship with an exited founder and they provide investment if they believe in 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 the company um all very valuable things and I would say the most important thing is they they put you in a room with 80 other people who are all willing to start a company at that point um Again, I don't really know what EF's secret source is because I've been through it and I still don't understand. However, I've come out of it and I couldn't be more lucky with the co-founder I I, I have. Um, but funnily enough, speaking to other EF companies, that doesn't seem to be um, a unique experience. So I think there's something they're doing, some magic source that is creating founding teams that are really, really strong. Um, so, I, as I said, I, I can't really compare it because I don't know what would have happened if I didn't go through an accelerator program. But for me, it was incredibly supportive and helpful in terms of giving me that confidence that I could start a company, but also putting me in touch with Jay. And so your relationship with your co-founder, with Jay, why does it work? What is it that you know is good about it? Because I think you've got... Um, different complementary skills haven't you yeah absolutely our skills are quite different and also how we approach a problem is quite often quite different as well which perhaps is 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 why it works so well I suppose he's just someone I respect a massive amount both intellectually but also on a personal level too Um, and you know it's not to say that we don't ever have differing views of course we do we disagree on how to approach many problems but the way that we deal with that is always with loads of respect and and funnily enough we quite often we have a reverse problem which is if we have differing views quite often we'll, we'll both make our arguments and then um the next day we'll come back to kind of 
you know, regroup. And we both convinced the other one. So we've swapped over. Um, but it's just, it's, I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. You know, on a personal level, there is that kind of respect in each other's opinions. On a, on a intellectual level, his way of approaching problems is quite different from mine. And his strengths are quite different from mine as well. Um, and so I think there's just a kind of perfect uh, alignment of those, of us being greater than the sum of our parts. That's a lovely phrase describing your co-founder relationship as greater than the sum of its its parts. Um, you mentioned that Entrepreneur First helped you with those founder conversations in terms of finding the right co-founder. How how did they do that? Do they have a kind of cheat sheet? Do they talk to you about you know healthy communication? What were the key messages that they gave you? Um, to be honest, I've been through the process and I'm still not entirely clear what what their secret sauce is. But um, they they certainly do do that. They do do give talks on sort of uh, good communication, how to give feedback to a co-founder and things like that, which I think when provided so early on in a relationship probably is very impactful because you're able to have those conversations in a healthy way from the start. Um, and then in terms of how to kind of how they encourage you to find the right co-founder. Um, I think what they do, which is really interesting, is they create an environment um, which encourages you to fail fast. And what I mean by that is they encourage co-founders to start working relationships, test out their market, test out their working relationship as well. Um, and if it doesn't work, that's fine. You break up and you, you move on to, to creating the next co-founder relationship. I suppose they support you in, in doing that by they they have what they at that point I don't know if things have changed since then but they they described um the the cohort as being one of three edges um and so you could be a um domain expert you could be a, a technical expert or you could be a product expert and so um the domain expert that was that was sort of myself I came with a knowledge of dentistry and a a knowledge of a market and the problems within that market the the product experts were someone who had knowledge of of taking a product to market they'd worked in a startup before um and then the the technical experts were typically you know a a ph in 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 machine learning or natural language processing in jay's case Um, and um because they kind of had defined the different types of of people they also then created this sort of formula of what edges work well together so you know a domain and a technical work very well together because you've got knowledge of a solution and knowledge of a problem so they're likely to work well together whereas obviously two two domains are not going to work very well together so it's kind of mixed the different things they did and I'm I'm still not entirely sure what was the most impactful but as I said it's worked incredibly well for me and it's worked well for for other EF um, companies so something in there is working or maybe a combination of all of them. Well of course just like um, (laughs) Coca-Cola and other brands you know if we knew what the secret sauce was we could replicate it couldn't we? (laughs) Yeah maybe that's that's their magic IP. So Hannah Kuroku is part of Equip, which is CMS's programme specifically tailored to support high growth tech businesses by providing access to discounted legal advice. How have you found being part of the CMS Equip programme? Um, so 
I heard about the CMS program um, through actually two avenues. Um, a friend of mine, um, Harry, who is the founder of Hazy, is also within your Equip program, and he highly recommended you guys because I think you guys have done their their seed or Series A. And then I've also got a friend who works at Equip separately, um, and so with that kind of background knowledge, I think we had two introductions. Um, and then we we came and and uh, pitched the business. Um, so that was that was the process of getting on. How we found it since it's just been, I mean, fantastic. I, I again don't know if we've had luck in terms of of uh, the colleagues of yours that we've ended up working with. But when I compare the ease of of seeking legal advice when we need it, the the promptness of receiving response the the thoroughness of being able to be kind of um connected with other members of the cms team for different requirements it's it just it's it's not been it's not been comparable with the legal help that we had before um and i suppose also being within a program like equip which obviously increases as a startup you do have to be aware of what you're spending on on legal costs for example the fact that it is so reduced makes you so much more likely to seek that help when you need it which is really really supportive for the growth of a company like Roku um, and then also the fact that Equip is part of CMS which is obviously such a massive uh, law firm you then have access to so many different experts of law which has been fantastic I suppose also worth noting as well is is the um, dinners and the events which just allow you to network with other similar companies or perhaps completely different stage companies i've spoken to people who've exited their companies people at very similar stage to us um so unfortunately i think we only had a christmas party before things all had to go remote for covid but they were really really uh really useful it's really nice to hear you say that um the the, the discounted legal fees allows you to seek the help that you need because I think for us that's one of the the key drivers for us in in setting up the program our experience prior to setting up equip was that we worked with um with fast growing companies but we would find that they would be um reticent to spend on things unless they absolutely had to and then quite a lot of the time when it came to a really um strategic um event we had to spend extra time you know putting in place things that should have been done already solving problems that wouldn't have arisen had they sought the advice at an earlier stage so it's it's really heartening to hear from you that you have found that the program has given you that license to make sure that you're doing things properly from the beginning um which is you know exactly one of the reasons that we we wanted to set up the program yeah i can definitely confirm so many situations where we probably would have just pushed the problem down the road if it, if it hadn't been for CMS and also um the, the the colleague that we do work with is is so you know generous with his time and just kind of giving advice here and there you're just in such better hands so as part of our um CMS equip lead hers initiative um, which is um, our initiative specifically to try and get more female founders onto our equipped programme and to support women um, more generally in the startup ecosystem. We're encouraging everyone that we speak to on this podcast and more widely to commit to one positive action, whether that's big or small, to support female founders. So my last question to you today, Hannah, is what positive action will you take this year to support other female founders? So I think 
two two things, two ways that I approach this. One is, and this isn't necessarily at Founders right now, but really at Kuroku, it's super important. And this is not just for me, but, but for Jay and the rest of the team as well, that we that the team is very diverse and we're very, very proud that we have got a majority female tech team, which is something I'm super uh, happy about. Um, so that's something that we're doing internally. And I think if you do that properly and and it's people who are entrepreneurial, which typically people who want to join super early stage startups are, then hopefully it will give them the knowledge to be able to go, and, go on and start their own things at some point in the future. And then I suppose the other thing um, that I can do I suppose it's it's this is fast I don't know smaller different is just to say that I am so happy to be contacted so my email is hannah at tricaroku.com and if there are any uh, female founders or prospective female founders who think I might have any knowledge or experience that that they would like to um, you know figure out more about or if they would like to talk about what they're considering starting or what they've already started then I'm always here to talk basically that's a really generous um offer Hannah um, I hope don't get um, inundated but really lovely and I think you know you you, you know you're, you're paying it forward aren't you because you've had that support from other female founders and I think what's really nice and something we've really noticed in building our lead hers community is that sense of community and um having that network and how important that is now, I mean, I do think role models is such an important thing when it comes to starting a company. And sometimes you do just need to kind of bounce your ideas off someone who's been through it before to give you that courage to to, to do the thing or start the thing. Um, so I know I'm, I'm very happy to do it. Well, thanks, Hannah. I think um, all that's left to say is um, thank you so much, Hannah, for um, joining us today. Um, thank you to um, everyone who is listening for listening to Talking to Lead Hers. Um, Hannah's already given her email address, but for more information on Kuroku, you can go to trykuroku.com and you can find more information on CMS Equip in the startup section of cms.law. Thank you for having me.